For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley, and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Thursday. Well, we're, we're up against it, right? I mean, these are the waning days of 2023. It is so crazy how time flies, right? Brand new year right around the corner. This is your go-to for hot liberty a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. On social media, Instagram at Monica Crowley underscore, and on Twitter and True Social at Monica Crowley, also by email at Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. All right, next week, we're obviously going to be here. We've been here throughout the holidays. Next week, breaking news, we'll be joined by John Solomon of Just the News, Um, Starting this year, we began a new tradition with our friend John Solomon because he is so good on breaking news and deep investigative journalism. We kicked off this year with Solomon, so we've begun this tradition. So next week, we're going to be joined by John Solomon, who's going to be here to give us an overview of the presidential race, an overview of the legislative agenda, both in the Republican House and Democrat-controlled Senate, what we can expect. Um, And, you know, voting starts here in about two weeks, two and a half weeks, something like that. So it's crazy. So we're going to get with John Solomon, and he's going to break down the year for us, which is going to be really great. Plus, any breaking news we're going to cover as usual here. Also next week, we're going to be joined by Christina Bob, who is one of President Trump's phenomenal lawyers. She's going to give us a breakdown of those cases and legally what we can expect in all these bogus Trump legal challenges going forward. Um, some of them are starting to fall apart, but we know how powerful the left is, so they're not going to give up that easily. So we've got that cooking to kick off 2024, and we're going to have a really big guest also the following week. We're just firming that up now, but this person is huge. So we've got a lot of great stuff coming up to kick off the brand new year. All right, today I want to uh, also do something special Uh, to close out the year. As you guys know, I worked with President Nixon, former President Nixon, during the last four years of his life. So early to mid-1990s, right before he passed away. And actually, I talked to him the day that he had a massive stroke, and then four days later, he passed away. Uh, But those four years with President Nixon were extraordinary for me. President Nixon was my boss, he was my mentor, and he was my friend. He was also like a grandfather figure to me. So when he passed away, it was absolutely devastating to me. And there's not a day that goes by that I don't miss him. Uh, And there's not a day that goes by that I don't think, what would President Nixon think about X, Y, and Z, about President Trump, about China, about Joe Biden, you name it. 
Um, so I, and I know this for a fact, it's not just me. I'm not the only one who misses Richard Nixon. There are a lot of Americans. I think there are a lot of people around the world who miss Richard Nixon every day. We spoke recently to Roger Stone. That was our Thanksgiving Day show. And I want you to go back and listen to it if you haven't already, because we break apart the JFK assassination, plus Watergate, the deep state, really big conversation with Roger Stone. Um, I'm always interested in talking to people who knew the great man. Yes, I mean, Richard Nixon, he was a great man. Well, today I want to do something special and focus on a very special president, a president exceptional to America and the world and to me personally, and a president special to our guest today as well. I'm speaking, of course, of Richard Nixon, our 37th president, and a man who defined the second half of the 20th century, and in fact, a man who still defines who we are and who we should be. Richard Nixon was a visionary. He was a global leader. He was an excellent domestic policy president. He was also brilliant, kind, generous, and very funny. He was America first, before America First was known as America First. In fact, Richard Nixon first coined us the Great Silent Majority. As you know, I worked closely with the great man during his final years, and it was the adventure of a lifetime, particularly because I was so young, starting working for President Nixon in his final years at the age of 21. Our guest today had a very different experience with President Nixon, and he's here to share it all with us. Ben Stein is a writer, actor, economist, and lawyer. He writes the Dreams column for Newsmax magazine, Ben Stein's Diary for the American Spectator, and he's the host of The World According to Ben Stein, that podcast. His comedic role as the droning economics teacher in the all-American classic Ferris Bueller's Day Off has been ranked as one of the 50 most famous scenes in movie history. Bueller, Bueller, (laughs) we'll talk to him about that too. But in real life, Ben Stein is an important thinker on economics, politics, and history, and he's considered one of the great humorists on political economy and how life works in America. He has been a... <laughs> Wait, I have more, Ben. I have more. Ben Stein has been a speechwriter for Presidents Nixon and Ford, a columnist and editorial writer for the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, and a teacher of law and economics. He has written over 30 books. His website is mrbenstein.com, so go check him out there. And he's got a brand new book out, which is what he is here to talk about. This new book is a masterful work of history and a powerful memoir. It is called The Peacemaker, Nixon, the Man, President, and My Friend. (laughs) Yes, indeed. It is available now, so go get it wherever you get your books called The Peacemaker. You will absolutely love it. And my friend Ben Stein joins us now. Hi, Ben. How are you? Nice to hear your voice. Nice to, I wish I could see you, but I can't, but... God bless you. That's the most lavish introduction I've ever had. Thank you very, very much. Well, I'm genuinely humbled. Well, you know, uh, to paraphrase our mutual friend Henry Kissinger in a different context, Ben, it has the added virtue of being true. 
<laughs> so yes, well put, well put, well put indeed. I always yeah. say to guests who have lengthy resumes like this, like, oh man, you eat, you just ate up half the show with your resume, but that means uh-huh. you're really accomplished. So it very, is an very kind. Very well, kind. it's an honor and a pleasure to have you here, Ben. And um, oh, it's God. been a while since we've talked, and I want to congratulate you on this book. This book, again called The Peacemaker, about President Nixon from your point of view. There's so much here, and Nixon is such a a rich font of material anyway. But before we get into President Nixon, let's get into Ben Stein. A lot of people probably don't know this, but your father, Herb Stein, was President Nixon's chief economic advisor. And your father was a true intellectual, which is what attracted Nixon to him in the first place. He was also a free market capitalist and a brilliant, brilliant man. Tell us about him. Well, he was, uh, his father was a uh, industrial worker, a skilled tool and die maker and repairman at uh, Ford Motor in uh, Detroit, uh, I guess, uh, yeah, before World War One, he was uh, very, very good with numbers, and there was no, there were no computers in those days. I think he did his calculations with a slide rule, and uh, uh, he came from a modest background. Uh, he was he and uh, I guess his wife were born in America. Not true of all people of that generation, especially Jewish ones. Uh, my father was extremely, extremely polite. I almost never heard him say a word in anger ever at any time. Uh, he knew a great deal of history. He incredibly, it was a different era. In high school, they were teaching him ancient Greek. Uh, and uh, he, he just knew a hell of a lot. I mean, every time I would uh, want to know about something, he, he knew about it. He was very, very well educated at public schools and not, not at private schools, at public schools. And uh, he was very pleasant and kind to me and uh, never ever heard him speak to anyone uh, in terms of condescension. I think it was a different America then. It was an America that uh, doesn't really exist anymore. Yes, I know. And that's very sad, which is why I like it, it is. And that's why I like to ask people about their parents or how they grew up, because the America where we all grew up, and I don't care what generation, unless you're talking about these most recent generations, but say from generation X uh, forward, you know, back in time, that is an America that does not exist anymore. Is his relationship with President Nixon how you got involved in politics, Ben? No, I'd say I got involved in politics because uh, I grew up in Washington, D.C. I read an awful lot of uh, newspapers. Well, my parents, even in those days long ago, subscribed to the Washington Post, the uh, Washington Evening Star, which was a wonderful paper, no longer exists, and uh, of the Wall Street Journal. And I, I just read, 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 learned a lot, and uh, was fascinated and compelled by it. I don't know why. I think why people are compelled by political science is a very good question. I'm sitting here in my uh, office of my house in Beverly Hills with a very, very, very brilliant young man uh, who also is compelled by politics. And uh, we, we both uh, learn a lot by discussing this uh, with each other. But it's in politics are how the world is run and organized. So it's terribly important. 
Yeah, which makes what we're going through today even more terrifying. Uh, But let's get back to your father and President Nixon, because I want to share something with you. I remember, so I worked with President Nixon during the last couple of years of his life in the early to mid-1990s. It was my first job, job out of college. As you know, Ben, I wrote him a letter. He answered it, and it completely changed my life. But I worked with him on his last two books and all of his speeches, not that he needed any help from me. He didn't, but I was there as an editor and researcher, right? And I remember, (laughs) well, it's true. He didn't need any help. He's sort of like Donald Trump that way. Um, But I was there as an editor and and a researcher for whatever he needed. And I remember that there was one line that Nixon used to quote all the time from your father, He used to put it in all of his books. And here is the line. He used to say, quote, this is from your father. The United States is a rich country. It's not rich enough to do everything, but it's rich enough to do everything important. And Nixon loved that line so much. Again, he used to sprinkle his books and speeches with that line from your father. Now, I'm not so sure that that is still true, given our nearly $34 trillion national debt. What do you think? What would your father, how would your father view the American financial, fiscal, uh, and monetary situation in the country today? I don't think he'd be that interested or concerned about the monetary situation. I think he would uh, be quite concerned about the fiscal situation and the fact that we're running such enormous deficits on a more or less uh, constant minute-by-minute basis, it seems to me we, we have reached a stage where it will be almost impossible to avoid having to have a restructuring of the nation's debt, and uh, that will not necessarily be a good thing. Uh, but uh, I, countries have gotten through much worse, and we will get through this one too. But he, he would be, he would be. I think, if I may say this, I'm not sure where you stand on this subject, he would be most concerned about uh, what is now called supply side, which was a, a revolutionary change in the, how the uh, budget budget process is done in the United States of America. It changed tremendously, and, and yet it was done with and with basically no evidence that it would work, and it didn't work. So, so there you are. But it's, uh, I think he would be quite concerned about the fact that the Republican Party, which was the party of sound fiscal policy, became the party of a, I think, what he would have called a crackpot idea. It's a very different kind of approach to economics. That is 100% true. And I think your father and President Nixon, for that matter, would be shocked and horrified at the state of the country, not just on the fiscal side, but culturally, politically, with regard to the deep state, which we'll get into as well. But I think that they would be beyond horrified at where the country is right now. Um, Your book... Is called. I would say I'm not sure they'd be beyond horrified, but I think they would be uh, just frightened as can be about the uh, cultural and uh, violent aspects of the, the country now. I mean, the, the fact that I, I'm not sure you told me where you lived in New York, and I'll tell you that I live in Beverly Hills on a street where I think even the most modest house would cost over $10 million. And, and yet it's not safe. Uh, I think my father would be horrified about that. Yes, I, I think so. And I think 
Well, at least for President Nixon, I won't uh, dare to speak for your father, but I think President Nixon would be uh, would understand how late it is in America that the enemies wow, within. A beautiful, beautiful, beautiful phrase. I love it a lot. Uh, it's later than any day I think. Yes. Yes, and that I think they would both be appalled by. Let's put it that way. Um, yes, absolutely right. Monica, you, you really nailed it there. Thank you very uh, much. Well, thank you, Ben. Thank you. Um, I appreciate that. So let's get into your book. Again, it's called The Peacemaker, and this is a history by way of a memoir. Why did you want to write this book now? Well, I've been wanting to write it for a long time, but uh, I've been uh, having, uh, having to do other things. Be this is what I'm about to say is going to make me cry, and it might even might make someone who doesn't know me cry. But uh, my son died in, on July 4th of this year. Obviously, he's my son. He was quite a bit younger than I was, and uh, quite a bit. And uh, we were all my wife and I were. He was our only child. We were both staggered by this, uh, and we're both sort of stunned and in our heads made to sit in the corner and contemplate what had happened and uh, just worry terribly about uh, our son and uh, the fact that violence, very, very, very bad violence, had reached into the Stein household and that claimed the life of our son, whom we loved beyond what words can possibly say. We loved him uh, on a level of love that's just incalculable. I am so sorry for your loss. And for Thank your you. your You're wife's kind, well, it, it's true. Um, and I I had known the story. I wasn't going to raise it, but I'm glad that you did because. Oh, thank you. Grief is not something that should be born alone. And I think we can all hear in your voice the, the kind of unfathomable loss that you and your wife and the rest of your family has suffered here. So uh, our hearts go out to you and our prayers go out to you too, Ben. And know that you are not alone, that we're all out here thinking about you and and supporting you how we can through prayer and and, and other ways. So that that loss, did that galvanize you to take a look at, I mean, because you've been so prolific in your career, acting, writing, journalism, uh, you name it, you're quite the Renaissance man. But did you take a step back then this year and say, what do I really want to spend my time on? And why was it Richard Nixon and telling this story? My wife has a malapropism that uh, always uh, gets to me. Uh, she she would say it's heart rendering, well not, not heart rending but heart rendering, and uh, it's true. I mean, when when we lost our son, it was heart rendering. It was not just sad. It was as if our hearts had been put through a shredder in a, a meat packing factory, and uh, that's how we felt about it. And we still feel that way. My wife and I lie in bed each night watching the news, watching movies, and. Uh, we are, our hearts are just in shreds uh, thinking about our son and how much we miss him and uh, hoping and praying that we get to spend uh, some meaningful part of eternity with our son. He's, we loved him very, very much and uh, just doesn't seem right that he should have been taken away from us so early. He was a very sweet boy and we just loved him an awful lot. And it's, it was too much to bear, just too damn much. Yes. I, I think anybody 
who has lost a child um, can sympathize with what you and your wife and the rest of your family is are all going through. Um, and we can certainly hear it in your voice. Um, well, very kind of you. Thank you, Monica. God bless you. Well, right, right back at you. God bless you. And you are not alone because God is with you in this too. God is absolutely with you in this, in this time as well. Um, so you decided then to write this book and get it out before the end of the year, which you, you did. What, what, what do you want to share about Richard Nixon? Let's start maybe at the beginning. What was your first impression of Richard Nixon? You were so young when you sort of came into the Nixon orbit. What impressed you the most about him? The peacemaker. He was a peacemaker and, uh, I first laid eyes on Mr. Nixon when I was probably five or six years old. Uh, Well, maybe seven. And uh, he was doing a whistle stop through the train station in Silver Spring, Maryland, the Baltimore and Ohio uh, train station. And, uh, oh, God, it's so, again, heart-rendering to think about how many years ago that was. And uh, my mother uh, took me, and then uh, later on, uh, my father and mother took me to see uh, President Nixon, or, well, what became President Nixon, uh, speaking. Uh, and even at that time, it struck me that he was a, a brilliant, brilliant wordsmith, brilliant v- viewer of uh, current and gigantically important events. And, and we have not ever been disappointed in him uh, reaching that deep into our hearts with the story of a man who... Uh, has no none of the gifts gifts for literature that uh, a person say who had gone to a more elegant school than he he did had but uh, my father uh, was a brilliant brilliant guy and uh, he was able to uh, put brilliant brilliant thoughts down on paper uh, I'm sorry I get very emotional when I talk about this and uh, we are just uh, we're just we could we couldn't miss it. We, we could not miss writing about this man. And, and I, as a Jew, had to write it because Mr. Nixon's greatest achievement, seems to me, was making peace in the Middle East and saving Eretz Israel, which uh, means the land of Israel, uh, when the Soviet Union was about to uh, go to war against little bitty Israel. Mr. Nixon said, get back in your corner, comrades. Uh, we're not going to let you do this. And uh, sure enough, he did not let them do that. And this was one of the great achievements of all time, of, of all time, not just not just of my lifetime, but of all time. No president ever has gone to the lengths that Mr. Nixon went to to save the children of Israel. No president ever, ever risked the United States of America and all of the people all of the property and all of the state of uh, America in order to save uh, people of Israel. No other president even come close, not even close to making the kind of risks, taking taking the kind of risks that President Nixon did to save Eretz Israel. And uh, this, to me, this makes him a star on a biblical scale. I mean, I think of President Nixon, I think of uh, Charlton Heston, I think of of a person who has been uh, doing heroic, biblical-level work forever, and that's a big, big achievement. 
And I'm so glad that you wrote about this in your book and that you're saying it here because Nixon gets such a bad rap, you know, sort of like the way Elon Musk is getting a bad rap where people have um, attacked them for being anti-Semitic. And, you know, there are some tapes where Nixon had some choice words for some American Jews who were not particularly supportive after everything he was doing um, for Israel, putting American nuclear forces on alert in defense of the state of Israel in 1973. He stood so strongly with Golda Meir, the Jewish people, the state of Israel, and he gets almost no credit for that. And he gets smeared constantly um, by people who zone in on one or two private conversations he was having in the White House out of a source of frustration without stepping back and taking a look at the bigger scope of American foreign policy and what he did for the state of Israel. Now, Israel was extremely, extremely well armed for a small country. Uh, They knew what they were doing. But uh, for them to go up against Russia, Soviet Union would have been an extremely daring move. Uh, They were willing to do it. And President Nixon said, we'll be there with you. Nobody else had ever done anything like that. Nobody else had ever remotely done anything like that for the children of Israel. And to say that I uh, admire him for that is like saying that the sky is up and the the water is down. It's so big. It's so gigantically big. What Mr. Nixon did for Israel is just so big. There's no telling how big it is. Okay, Ben, I'm going to ask you to please hang tight because we've got a lot more coming up straight ahead. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We are back now with the great Ben Stein. I'm so glad that you've made this point, Ben. And coming from you, it means even more because you were part of that that Nixon White House. You were there during that period of time. It's a really critical thing for everybody to understand. You know, any American president who has tremendous success but poses a threat to the uni party, the deep state, the military industrial complex, we're going to get to that in a second. But they get smeared unfairly with a pack of lies. And with Nixon, one of the many lies leveled at him is that he was somehow anti-Semitic, opposed to the Jewish people, and nothing could be further from the truth. Absolutely, absolutely true, Monica, and an absolute outrage that that was done. And here's Mr. Nixon, as I say, undoubtedly the best friend that the children of Israel have ever had. And uh, he gets very little, maybe no credit for this at all. And it breaks my heart that many, many Jewish Americans think that Nixon was an anti-Semite. And yet this man risked everything for Israel. And, and he never gets the credit he deserves. This. I mean, never, ever, ever gets the credit for, for this. And uh, well, he does when, I, when I'm writing about him. I think when the American Spectator is writing about him, when Newsmax is writing about him, 
But otherwise, no, nobody, nobody will step out and say this guy, this man was a hero on a biblical level. He was a hero so big that you could not calculate it. Do you think that the people of Israel uh, understand that and appreciate him the way we do? Yes, yes. Israel does. American Jews, Jews don't. Uh, Long, long, long ago, uh, the day that Nixon resigned, I was, it was my job on that day to speak to a group of uh, Israeli high school students who were uh, touring the White House. And uh, I was, uh, I spoke to them in a small room in the uh, executive office building, actually in the EOB, as we called it in those days, about what a great man Nixon was. And they were crying. They were sobbing. They were just crying. They were sobbing. And they said, what will happen? to Israel, what will happen to Eretz Israel without Nixon there? What will happen to Israel without Nixon there to speak up and to st- sound out for Israel? What will happen to them? And they still love Mr. Nixon. They don't, they don't just like him, they love him. Yeah, I've sensed that too when I go to Israel and when I tell people I worked with a great man during his last years, they react so positively in Israel. But you're right, American Jews, not so much, generally because politically on different sides, they're Democrats, they're liberals, they're socialists, they're communists, whatever. And so they've also been indoctrinated to hate Nixon and everything about him. And they believe all the lies about President Nixon. Heartbreaking, heartbreaking. Absolutely. Just heartbreaking, heartbreaking. And this is why your book called The Peacemaker, another huge reason this is so important. Um, let's go back to those early days because you were a speechwriter for him in the White House, along with some other great wordsmiths, Ben, like Bill Sapphire, Pat Buchanan, Ray Price. I mean, these are huge names and you were so young, you were like a kid. What was that like? It was wonderful. It was absolutely glorious. I was, by training, an economist and a lawyer, and uh, to be with these very, very smart, accomplished people, almost all of them were quite young uh, in those days, was just, well, it was just intoxicating, and and still is intoxicating, once in a while, um, yes, once in a while, I mean, once in a blue moon, I will be sitting on the airplane, and I will see someone really, really famous and accomplished, and, and I will say, here we are, here we are. Is there anyone, is there anyone else on this plane? Is there anyone else on, on this planet who understands what Mr. Nixon meant to the Jewish people? No, there was not. Mm. It's just so extraordinary. Can you share... You were in the speech writing shop with these huge titans. Can you share like a personal memory or two of working with those guys and also being in the White House with Richard Nixon? Well, I will say, to me, this is interesting. Mr. Nixon walked around the White House, the executive office building hall with his dog, King Timaho, a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Irish setter. And I often ran into him and, uh, we would talk about our dogs. Mr. Nixon was a great animal fancier. And uh, we would talk about how those days would not come back again. There, there was, was not going to be any uh, sons of the pioneers. There's not going to be that last night, I think. Yeah. Yes, I still have a house out in Malibu 
was smashing into the ocean. And uh, I look out over the ocean, and I look out there, and there's Mr. Nixon uh, somewhere also out there. And I'm thinking to myself, my God, I got to be with the man who was the most important savior of Israel since Moses. And uh, what what could be more glorifying, more edifying, more of a privilege and a pleasure than what I got to do? Oh, I mean, you were part of the swirl of great history, you know, in the White House, and, and especially for someone yo- so young in the middle of it, your eyes must have been like saucers the entire time then. Well, they were, except bear in mind that uh, my father was chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors at that time, and so I would would have met many of those people already. But, uh, wow, I was very impressed and happy to be with those people. Look, Monica, I was with people who were geniuses and geniuses in a great, great cause. And you know what, Ben, too, when you think about where we are today with Joe Biden and the rest of this clown car uh, running the country into the ground, you think about the Nixon years. Everybody in his administration, everybody around him were heavyweights, like your father, like Al Haig, like Bill Rogers, Henry Kissinger. These were heavyweights. These were big thinkers. They were long-term strategic thinkers, making American policy in the moment to anticipate what the world was going to look like and protect America and America's interests. We don't have that now. We have very short-term political activists who are driving the country straight off the cliff. Well, I'm a, 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 it's horrible to say this, but you're right, and it's terrifying, and uh, God bless America, but it is really, really scary what's going on in the uh, leadership of this country. Now, if you can call it leadership, uh, when I look at the people around Mr. Around Mr. Biden, it just makes me want to cry. Uh, I don't under, understand how we quite how we got to this level, but uh, it's, it's certainly a very, very bad situation. And uh, well, I hope and pray that we can somehow pull ourselves out of this ditch. Ben. Yes, oh. I'm, I'm listening, waiting, waiting for you. Oh, sorry. <laughs> waiting for you to say something brilliant. Think, holy smoke, I'm in the presence of a, of a great Old Testament prophet. <laughs> We're going to keep that in the show, everybody. Ben dropped off for a couple of seconds. I didn't know whether he no, was still there. We're going to keep that in. My, madam, I was waiting for you to say something that would have been like, whap, whap. Wake up, Ben, you're in the presence of, as I say, of Moses, or of, of Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You, uh, yeah, this has been, if you think that was an interesting moment for you, it was a giant moment for me. <laughs> We're going to leave that in the show. All right. Um, speaking of the Middle East and Nixon's huge accomplishments there, your book other co- covers other aspects of Nixon's epic historic peacemaking. For example, detente with the Soviet Union which I wrote my entire PhD dissertation on China, focusing on Truman Acheson and Nixon Kissinger 20 years later. And the argument that I made was that one of the main reasons he opened the door to China is because 
the Soviets were in a race. They were modernizing their military, their nuclear arsenal, their conventional forces. And because we were so tied down in Vietnam, we could not match them in the moment. So Nixon did the brilliant creative move of beginning to warm relations with Moscow as a way to buy time until the U.S. could extricate itself from Vietnam and restore its financial, political, diplomatic health after Vietnam. And then, boom, we had paved the way for Ronald Reagan to come in and go after the Soviet Union with both guns blazing. That that kind of creativity in American foreign policy doesn't exist anymore, but no, what a testament to Richard Nixon's brilliant mind. And a brilliant mind doing all this while being harassed, uh, tortured, tormented by idiot college students and idiot uh, demonstrators on the streets of Washington, D.C. What a great, great man to be done what he was doing while being, as I say, tortured and tormented by people who didn't know their, if I may say so, their ass from their elbow. Yes, uh, 100%. And yet Nixon bent over backwards to try to understand where they were coming from with the whole countercultural movement. He did. He did. Right? And his yes, famous... He did. And he went, he went, yes, he went up to, to the Lincoln Memorial yes. uh, and, and spoke to them and uh, tried to make friends with them. But of course, they didn't really want to be friends with them. Although I have met people in recent years who were there the night that Mr. Nixon went up to the Lincoln Memorial uh, very late at night and uh, still are amazed at his brilliance and the fact that he was so unafraid to talk to them uh, despite what, what might have been considered terrifying moments for him and for the nation. Yes, and he went up there without Secret Service in the wee hours of the morning, like four or five o'clock in the morning. He couldn't sleep, and he grabbed his driver, and he said, let's go to the Lincoln Memorial, where they were doing this mass sit-in. He gets no credit for this. Speaking of no credit, Ben, um, the war in Vietnam, which Nixon wound down and ended with the Paris Peace Accords, how in the world did his Secretary of State, Henry Kissinger, get the Nobel Peace Prize for that, for ending the war. But Richard Nixon, Kissinger's boss and the architect of the policy, did not. Uh, because uh, the world is a very unfair place. Mm -hmm. And as President Kennedy said, uh, the world is unfair. And that was certainly a moment of astonishing unfairness. But so much of Mr. Nixon's life was a moments, late lifetime of unfairness. And yet he kept on keeping on in terms of making himself uh, as helpful as he could be to the people of uh, America and the people of the world, never, ever complaining about the fact that he didn't get any credit, just keeping on, keeping on. What a man. What a man. And, and I've got to go in just a moment, but let me just say, if I may, Monica, I thank you on my hands and knees for being so honest and being so brave to get into this. My next door neighbor when I was a child was none other than Carl Bernstein. And uh, Carl gets to be uh, incredibly famous and uh, won all kinds of prizes. I guess he became fairly well-to-do. Uh, and uh, But, but uh, Nixon, Nixon gets nothing but the sneering of the uh, vicious upper class, the upper class, upper Nixon haters, who have dived in with both feet 
to hate Nixon, even though Nixon saved Israel and saved the world. Okay, please stand by. We've got much more coming up straight ahead with Ben Stein. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, we are back with Ben Stein. His brand new book is called The Peacemaker, Nixon, The Man, President, and My Friend. It is superb. Let me ask you one final question, and then we will let you go, Ben Stein. For me, having worked for President Nixon during the last four years of his life, I know what I want people to know about Richard Nixon. And I want everybody to know that he was a visionary president who was targeted and removed by the deep state and that he was a very good man. As you think about him and as you remember him, how do you want the rest of the world to know Richard Nixon? He was the father of Julie Nixon and Trisha Nixon. And a man who has children like that has to be a great man. And Mr. Nixon was a great man. There never was a greater man in my lifetime. Uh, we to, to think that I had the privilege of pretty much any time I wanted going in to see him, true, true, for just minutes at a time. And once he left office, when we, were, when we were both in Southern California, being able to get in my car and drive down and see Mr. Nixon. It's, it's absolutely incredible. It's as if I had been able to go down to, uh, what should I say, Israel and see uh, the, the children of Israel and the prophets going to see uh, the history being made. God Almighty, thank you for letting me know, Richard Nixon. Uh, You know, I feel the same. I knew him at a different time in his life. But the idea that I could pick up the phone and call Richard Nixon at any time, or Ben, the fact that he would invite me over to his home on a Sunday afternoon to watch the NFL while he made chili out of a can for me and for him. (laughs) I mean, I think about that time in my life and it... Just extraordinary, right? Well, I will will leave you with this, Ben. President Nixon, you know, when he used to be asked all the time, how do you think history is going to remember you, Mr. President? Nixon used to say, well, it depends who writes the history. And because, right, right, most historians are, are on the left, so most histories about him are biased on the left, some viciously so, and they're, they're militantly anti-Nixon. But my two books about him tell the truth about him, and so does yours, The Peacemaker. And Ben, that is what you should probably be most proud of in your life and career, that you are leaving something, you are leaving a legacy about this great man and that period of history. I am so blessed that I got to work at the elbow of a man who was literally saving the planet. I never could have imagined at any time in my life having that honor. And you are so blessed. And you know what? His life and his presidency were enriched by you too. 
Ben Stein. That's mildly kind of you. God bless you, Monica. Oh, well, God, oh, God bless you too, Ben. The book is called The Peacemaker, Nixon, the man, president, and my friend. It is a really important contribution to the true history of Richard Nixon. I want to thank you so much for writing it, Ben, and for being here today. You are, uh, you are a legend in your own right. I'm just overwhelmed at your kindness. I, I've never, ever dreamed I would get to be on television or media of any kind with a woman as kind and generous as you have, have been to me today, and I will never forget it. Well, that is very kind and generous and sweet of you, and I will never forget it. And I hope you will come back in the new year so we can talk about Ferris Bueller and other things. I am at your disposal. All right, guys, that is going to do it for us. And actually, that is a wrap on the year. That's a wrap on 2023. Uh, Thank you for being here today. That was another really important conversation with Ben Stein. This is the kind of stuff that I love to do because it really informs where we are today and where we're going and what we look for in leaders. So I appreciate you guys being here. But as we end 2023, I just want to express my gratitude to all of you for being here for all of our shows, for every Monica Crowley podcast, and for telling all of your friends, your family, your colleagues about this show. So grateful to you guys. Um, I couldn't do this without you. And, you know, I do this for you. I do it for each and every one of you. I do it for my country that I love so much. I do it for the West, which has given us so much. And every single day that we put this show out, uh, we do it all for you so that we can all enjoy the gifts of freedom, the Constitution, the Declaration, free market capitalism. We do it in order to fight this war to preserve those things before it's all completely lost. So guys, I'm so grateful to you as we end the year. I thank each and every one of you. I wish you a blessed New Year's. Okay, if you're going out on New Year's Eve, uh, have a great time. Be careful, be responsible, but have fun. And I will see you bright and early in the new year next Tuesday with a brand new show of breaking news, John Solomon with an overview of what to expect in 2024 and so much more. Okay, God bless you and I'll see you then. All right, guys, that is going to do it for us. And actually, that is a wrap on the year. That's a wrap on 2023. Uh, Thank you for being here today. That was another really important conversation with Ben Stein. This is the kind of stuff that I love to do because it really informs where we are today and where we're going and what we look for in leaders. So I appreciate you guys being here. But as we end 2023, I just want to express my gratitude to all of you for being here for all of our shows, for every Monica Crowley podcast, and for telling all of your friends, your family, your colleagues about this show. So grateful to you guys. Um, I couldn't do this without you. And, you know, I do this for you. I do it for each and every one of you. I do it for my country that I love so much. I do it for the West, which has given us so much. And every single day that we put this show out, uh, we do it all for you so that we can all enjoy the gifts of freedom, the Constitution, the Declaration, free market capitalism. We do it 
in order to fight this war to preserve those things before it's all completely lost. So guys, I'm so grateful to you as we end the year. I thank each and every one of you. I wish you a blessed New Year's. Okay, if you're going out on New Year's Eve, uh, have a great time. Be careful be responsible, but have fun. And I will see you bright and early in the new year next Tuesday with a brand new show of breaking news, John Solomon with an overview of what to expect in 2024 and so much more. Okay. God bless you. And I'll see you then. This episode of the Monica Crowley podcast was produced by Bayhockel Entertainment, LLC. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen.